uh, and the challenge has been to read uh, the entire book together. Uh, but today we're just going to focus on the first half uh, of the passage we just looked at. It'd be good to keep your Bible open, uh, to, to follow along, make sure I'm not a heretic as we go. Uh, why don't I pray for our time? Uh, dear Lord, we thank you that your word is living and active and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. I pray that by your spirit, you might work in each of us now, as you see we most need. Amen. Uh, so often in life, uh, wouldn't we love uh, to know just the right reaction at just the right time? You know, to know when to stay and when to go, uh, when to encourage and when to challenge and rebuke, uh, and sometimes just when to shut up. Yeah, wouldn't that be fantastic? And of course, we're, we're always uh, infinitely wiser uh, when we're sort of sitting on the couch, metaphorically, watching the TV uh, and knowing exactly uh, how things should happen. Uh, because, you know, if you're watching the footy, you, you've got no skin in the game. You know, it's really just, you know, ha having to withstand the test of your own mind. Uh, and you're usually right. Uh, and so we're on the couch, uh, that, that's pretty easy, but in real life, uh, it gets tough. Uh, in the passage uh, that we just read, um, particularly that first half, uh, it appears, uh, at least from our perspective, uh, sitting on the couch, uh, that Paul is endorsing a whole bunch of things uh, that he speaks against elsewhere. You know, it kind of looks like one of those, you know, brain snap moments in the footy uh, where he should have zigged and instead he's zagged and it's all ended in grief. And we, and we sort of watch and observe and go, what in the world was Paul thinking? Uh, so uh, let's work it through together uh, and see if perhaps uh, there is a better explanation for understanding what's going on for Paul. Uh, so if you've been with us, uh, the plot so far, uh, over the last couple of weeks, we've, we've read how Paul has been travelling to all these different cities, uh, uh, often for the first time, uh, and telling people about Jesus. Uh, and it usually starts in, in the local uh, Jewish temple. Uh, that usually ends badly at some point, uh, and then he heads off somewhere else to tell the rest of the city. Uh, now, if you sort of struggle to sort of, you know, remember where things are, uh, I saw this really help, help handy thing once. I want you to get your right hand out, okay, and, uh, and just sort of t tip it on its side and, and, and point out your thumb. Okay, so here's our map, obviously. Okay, so what we've got is, is down the bottom we've got Jerusalem, right? The, the big gap is the Mediterranean Sea. Okay, and then we've got Corinth at the bottom uh, with your pointer finger. Uh, and then you go up to your, have a nice day finger, um, and you go to the, the knuckle, and you've got Ephesus. Okay, and then we go up a little bit higher, uh, to Thessalonica, uh, and then across to Philippi. So there you go, it's all there, okay? <laughs> so J Jerusalem, come with me, Jerusalem, Corinth, oops, sorry, Ephesus, Philippi, beautiful. See, you can just take that wherever you want to go, just tuck it in your pocket, and it's all good. 
So we're going to pick up uh, the story today uh, when uh, Paul is now heading back to Jerusalem. Uh, and he returns uh, with this uh, sense of inevitability. Uh, so last week we read these words. And now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardship are facing me. And as, they, as he travels towards Jerusalem, uh, the disciples who are travelling with him are trying to persuade him not to go. Uh, and it'd be a pretty easy case to make. You know, you could look at all the incredible things that Paul has done in the name of God and how God has blessed that ministry, going to all of those different cities. You know, and you think, well, what, why go to Jerusalem where you're going to end up being arrested and persecuted when, you know, there's the whole rest of the world uh, to go out there and share the gospel. You know, surely there's a better thing to do with your time. Uh, but, you know, for Paul, he's completely convinced about what God's will is for him, and it means going to Jerusalem. And in, in the end, even the disciples concede, you know, the Lord's will be done. And uh, really, when we look at Paul's example, it's a bit like you know, when we listen to the words of Jesus, isn't it? So Jesus once said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself, take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Yeah, and we see Paul really taking those words to heart, uh, that he is putting his life on the line uh, for the sake of obedience to Christ. Uh, and it's challenging, isn't it? You know, when we think about our own life uh, and our own circumstances, are we willing to take up our cross for the sake of Christ? You know, we certainly don't want to seek out persecution just for the fun of it, uh, but are we willing to stand up for Christ and to risk being persecuted? You know, we're willing to risk personal relationships uh, or the respect of our work colleagues. Are we willing to risk potentially uh, our financial uh, security uh, or our you know, progress and success in our workplace? Uh, it comes at a genuine cost. Uh, but of course, that's all the negative. On the positive side, uh, we've also got this opportunity to change someone's life forever. And so the only way we're going to take that type of risk is if we've got the courage of our convictions. Uh, we need to get comfortable in our culture uh, that we are now a minority group, and that's okay. You know, they can yell and scream, they can revel in their contempt for God, and in the wisdom of our age, uh, but we need to stand firm, you know, with that clarity and peace of mind of who we are in Christ. Uh, that, that's what Paul does. He's at peace with what's to come because he knows who he is in Christ. And we do need to push back, but it's not pushing back in anger, uh, but with the good news that Jesus comes to bring life. Yeah, it's a life that realigns us with the purpose that God had for us when he created us in the first place. 
Uh, It's a life that frees us from the consequences of our sin and the guilt of sin. Uh, And of course, it's a life that gives us an eternal hope. And so Paul goes to Jerusalem uh, prepared for the worst, uh, but with conviction. Uh, And as we sort of read this account, you know, we're, we're anticipating the worst, aren't we? We're just sort of waiting for everything to go wrong. You know, it's kind of like in, in the movies, you know, where, where you've got, you know, the main character, he goes into the, the dark and dingy room with the, the expendable um, love interest sidekick. And uh, you kind of know that whatever's in that box, it's bad. Okay, and, and there's this anticipation that, you know, you're going to open this box and the whole thing's going to explode. Um, that's sort of what we're expecting, isn't it? Uh, But actually, as he comes to Jerusalem, things start off quite well. It's less bad box and more, you know, fluffy bunny. You know, so he comes in and he's welcomed by the local church and they hear what's been happening in his ministry and they praise God together. Uh, It's this wonderful picture of, of, you know, a community of Christians reunited together. Uh, It's a little bit like, you know, when we got together a few weeks ago with our missions dinner, you know, just hearing what's happening for the Sparks family uh, as they serve in Spain and Amy in Argentina and the Forrest family in Jordan. You know, we we come together and it's just this wonderful celebration. It's an opportunity to pray for them, uh, to pray for their churches, to pray uh, for the Christians uh, in those places. And that's that's a little bit like what we see. Uh, But of course, then things turn quite quickly. You know, our, our, our fluffy bunny that, that started off looking so happy um, is sort of kind of like, you know, wired to explode. Uh, and very quickly, you see that there's actually big issues in Jerusalem. So verse 20. You see, brothers, how many thousands of Jews have believed, and all of them are zealous for the law. They have been informed that you teach all of the Jews who live amongst the Gentiles to turn away from Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or live according to our customs. What shall we do? Now, if you've been around sort of Christian things for a while, uh, as you read this passage, uh, it should perhaps make you feel a little uncomfortable uh, because over and over again in the Scriptures we read how we are saved by Christ alone and not by the Old Testament law. And yet we seem to be reading here that the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem are still living in obedience to the law. And then as we read on, uh, they want Paul to endorse their commitment to the law by participating in this purification ritual. Uh, so in verse 25, that you, to show that you yourself are living in obedience to the law. So let me see if I can capture uh, why this whole issue matters. Okay, so Jesus once said, uh, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will will by any means disappear from the law, and everything is accomplished." Uh, So what the law sought to accomplish was accomplished in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. So Jesus is the promised Messiah. He fulfills what the law sought to achieve. And he does that in particular dealing with sin and dealing with death. 
So the law has fulfilled its purpose. At the same time, uh, we still uh, live uh, in obedience to some of the aspects of the law. So, for example, things to do with the character of God. So, do not murder uh, was wrong in the Old Testament and it continues to be wrong today. Uh, we are called uh, to love and to show mercy and compassion and to be forgiving and to show self-control. Uh, because all of those things are about conforming to who God has created us to be in his image. But we don't conform to these things because we are under the law. Uh, we conform to them because we are followers and imitators of Christ. And so Paul is scathing of anyone who tries to say, you need Jesus plus the law to be saved. Uh, and this is really one of the big themes in Paul's letter to the Galatians. So this gives us a little bit of insight into what he's thinking. So, uh, this is what it says at the beginning of Galatians. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. And then a little bit later, same letter, uh, verse 11. Uh, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him face to face. Uh, why? Verse 14. Uh, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you are forcing Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Uh, so I think for me, two things stand out. Firstly, uh, Paul isn't afraid to challenge even someone like the Apostle Peter, uh, who surely is one of the greats. Uh, and at the same time, we can see that by Peter's life, that he understands exactly who Jesus is. He's the Messiah who's fulfilled the law. And so even Peter doesn't live under the law anymore. And then a little bit later on, uh, Paul, speaking to the Galatian Christians, says, Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he's obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. Uh, now, we know in different places that Paul does permit people to be circumcised, but not as a condition of salvation. Uh, so, for Paul, uh, he's concerned about how Christians apply the law, but why doesn't he then go on to rebuke the Jerusalem Christians here? You know, this group of people who are zealous for being law-keeping. Uh, worse still, perhaps, uh, he goes along with this purification ritual that he knows will be seen, it's a very public, display of support. You know, it's one thing to sort of go to a party where everyone's getting drunk. Uh, it's another thing to get drunk with everyone at the party. Uh, if you can kind of get the, the, the metaphor. Uh, that he's going along with something that he would appear to be arguing against elsewhere. So all in all, uh, it's a very confusing reaction, isn't it? Uh, and it's not a great look. Uh, but at the same time, I think it'd be a bit rich, wouldn't it, for us to sit in our comfortable couch, metaphorically, again, uh, here, a long way from these events, uh, with very few words to work with, and pass judgment on him. 
Uh, so we want to sort of work out, okay, well, what does it perhaps mean? Uh, what's going on here? Because we know that Paul came to Jerusalem prepared for persecution. Uh, we know that he's not afraid to speak his mind uh, when he sees a problem. Uh, so the most reasonable conclusion uh, is to look at this situation and to see that it's less about law-keeping and salvation and more about law and custom. Uh, so this isn't about trying to earn your salvation through obeying the law. That doesn't appear to be the issue. It appears to be more about uh, living according to the customs of their culture. Uh, so Paul chooses to participate for the sake of peace and for the sake of fellowship. And if there is a bigger issue at hand, and there might be, then Paul has decided to choose his battles. So he's decided this isn't the time to have this debate right here, right now. And of course, we don't know more of the story, do we? We've only got a few words to work with. I think um, Paul's letter to the Corinthians is helpful because, again, it gives us sort of some insight into the mind of Paul. And I think this is what's going on. So from 1 Corinthians, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. Uh, Paul is not saying uh, we compromise obedience to Christ for the sake of winning people over, uh, but he is saying uh, that we do need to choose our battles and we do need to choose our timing. And so in the context of this passage, you know, how is that relevant to us? We're not Jewish Christians. Uh, we're not really engaging with Jewish Christians per se. So, so what's the context? Uh, and for us, it's less about engaging with our culture, but I think it's more about how do we engage with other Christians, other genuine followers of Christ, who hold different views to us. Uh, and I think uh, as we engage with people, with people, it takes a real wisdom, doesn't it? Uh, to know, you know, what are the issues that are so important uh, that we have to be absolutely uncompromising? And then what are those issues which are less important? And of course, you ask different people and they'll have very different answers as to which one's which. And so it's a rather fraught question, isn't it? In fact, I've asked it as part of our Connect group this week. Uh, our conversation started off quite animated. Uh, but it's, it's important to wrestle with, isn't it? How do we have fellowship with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who sometimes hold very different views to us? Uh, there is no convenient black and white answer. Uh, that would be great. In this situation, do this. In that situation, do something else. That would be convenient. Uh, but instead, we have to rely on wisdom. Uh, and so let me give a few things that I think are helpful. Uh, firstly, uh, the Bible is readable and has meaning, which means not every interpretation is equal. So you can't just simply say, it means whatever it means to me, and it can mean something different to you. If we, do, if we go to that point, then none of our conversation has any meaning. So our words do have meaning. And we need to wrestle with the scriptures to understand what it says. And on the really important things, we find scripture spends a lot of time explaining things. 
So let's spend time in God's word and understanding it. Uh, And that means we need to approach it with a sense of humility. So rather than saying, uh, how does God's word fit into my expectation, we really need to stop and listen and say, how do I need to understand what God wants for me? Whether I like the answer or not, whether I find it convenient or inconvenient. What does God want for me from his word? Uh, And that means we need to approach it contextually. Uh, So we can't just take the pick and choose the bits which are convenient. Uh, We need to understand words in the context of other words. What does this mean as we read the whole picture of scripture? Uh, And that means we need to approach it prayerfully, uh, praying that God's spirit will guide our understanding uh, that we might understand it clearly. And I think a third one, which I haven't put on the screen, is but, but we've got brothers and sisters in Christ, which means we challenge one another. Iron sharpens iron. We learn from one another uh, so that our desire is uh, that we might be more godly as a result. I think, secondly, uh, when talking to Christians from other backgrounds, I think we need to start with the gracious assumption that they are saved and we are united with them. I think sometimes as Christians, uh, I'm going to risk it and say sometimes as Anglicans, uh, that we start with the idea that we've got it right and they've got it wrong and we're we're a little concerned for their salvation. Uh, If that is us, uh, then we, honestly, we need to repent uh, and we need to recognise just how divisive and unhelpful that can be. Let's start with the gracious assumption that we are united together the same gospel for Christ. Let's start there until we discover something otherwise. But let's start there. And I think number three, if there are real differences, this is where it gets hard, isn't it? If there are real differences, uh, then we need to be discerning. So if they're less critical, uh, then we might choose to let it go through to the keeper uh, and just willing, be willing to accept a greater diversity. You know, if someone wants to stand up here and hold their hands up and praise God when they sing, go for it. You know, if someone chooses to hold Sunday as a particular Sabbath day where they go to church and they do nothing else, then that's okay. Uh, If someone is a seven-day creationist, I'm not personally, but if someone is a seven-day creationist, I'm certainly not going to break fellowship over that issue. So if it's less critical... How do we be or accepting of freedom? How do we accept more diversity? But if things are more critical, uh, if they have to do with what it means to be a follower of Christ and how we are saved and the authority of Scripture, uh, then we need to have more unity uh, because there is an awful lot at stake here. Uh, And therefore, we need to be more discerning. Uh, And... Uh, we need to be more careful about who we call brother and sister in Christ. Because if fundamental things are missing, then we have a real problem. And I think how we respond sort of goes one of two ways. Uh, If we're meeting someone for the first time, perhaps the answer is actually not to challenge. Uh, We don't know them. We're not in a position to speak into their views or their life. And so now is not the time. Uh, Or perhaps it's completely the opposite. Uh, There is so much at stake. Uh, Their understanding is so misguided and so dangerous uh, that we must challenge them. 
not just for their sake, uh, but for their sake, but also for those around them. Uh, so there are churches that no longer believe we need to be saved from our sin. Uh, and they've reduced the, the message of the gospel and faith down to an issue of social justice and climate change. Uh, at that point, we can no longer say we are sharing in the same gospel. That is fundamentally a different Christian message. I'm not even sure what that message is. Uh, but we cannot say that that is the gospel that saves. Uh, there are churches that distort the Bible's view of love and obedience to the point of saying wrong is right and sin doesn't matter. Uh, we all sin, uh, but the real problem is when we no longer call sin sinful. And we don't see that we have a need for forgiveness because we don't see that we've actually done anything wrong. And that needs to be challenged. Uh, because if we love that person, if we care for them, then we've got to recognise that they're in a dangerous place. They think they're standing on solid ground and everything is well between them and God when it's not. And so we do need to challenge that uh, graciously, generously, as one person who needs forgiveness to another person who needs forgiveness. But as people who, if we're going to say we follow Christ then we need to follow Christ. And when we sin, we need to repent. Uh, but sometimes it's not so much about what people take away, but what people add. Uh, so the most common is where we try to add Jesus plus good works. And they say, how am I saved? Well, I'm saved because I'm a good person. And so when I get to heaven, you know, God will see I'm a good person and, and she'll be right. You know, I have a general sort of vague belief in God. Surely that's enough. Well, that's not the gospel, is it? That takes away from what Jesus did on the cross. That's saying Jesus' death on the cross actually wasn't sufficient to pay the price for your sin. That he, God needed a bit of extra help with your goodness. You know, Jesus got you 80%, goodness will get you the last 20. That's not the gospel. Uh, the gospel is we are saved by the grace of God. Uh, we do good works as saved people, but we cannot live believing that our goodness will save us. Because when we get to God, when we stand before him one day, if we claim to stand before him on our goodness, then we are clearly going to fall short, aren't we? So we need to trust in the grace of God. So all of this uh, takes a lot of wisdom, doesn't it? Yeah, how do we know in any given situation uh, what is the right response? Uh, when do we choose our battles? When do we let it go through to our go through to the keeper, uh, when do we speak? Uh, in this passage today, uh, Paul decides to participate in this custom for the sake of peace and for the sake of unity. Uh, he was there, that's the wisdom call he made. Uh, let's pray uh, in our week as we head out that we might have the same wisdom uh, to know in any given situation how do we honour God here? Whatever the consequence, whatever the outcome, how do we honour God here? And of course, we know uh, in this whole situation, going back to our bunny, uh, he sort of diffuses the cultural problem, doesn't he? He goes in, it all looks like it's about to explode. Uh, he diffuses that amongst the, the Jewish Christians. Uh, but then sure enough, the whole situation then blows up, doesn't it? Uh, and that's what we're going to look at next week. 
uh, as we continue to look at uh, what does it mean for Paul to now stand up for Christ, uh, not just amongst the Jewish Christians, but amongst uh, the Jewish population in Jerusalem. But that's next week. Let me close and pray. Uh, Dear Lord, as we reflect on your word today, uh, we recognise that uh, life is complicated uh, and that we need your wisdom to guide us. Uh, Lord, help us to have the courage of our convictions to stand up clearly in the world. At the same time, uh, help us to be discerning, uh, to know when to speak and when to be silent, uh, when to encourage and when to challenge. Uh, But in all things, I pray that we'll be motivated by a desire to honour you with our lives and a desire to see others honour you with their lives. Amen.